Well, welcome to another edition of Rolling Valley Stories. Today, I am in the home of the Thompsons, and I am here with Sister Gwen Thompson, who is a fantastic member of our ward. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for sharing your stories. Well, thank you for having me, or oh, coming over. <laughs> well, thank you. It's awesome. It's awesome to be here again. I know we, uh, we interviewed Brother Thompson a couple episodes ago, uh, and his was fantastic, and I'm just super excited to get to know you, and, and I'm sure the, the members of the ward are as well. But my first question for you, is every t Sunday that I come to church, I get a hug from you. And I know you give hugs to almost everybody in the ward, if not everybody you possibly can. Tell me about why that is so great for you, why, why you just love giving hugs to everybody. Well, when I first started, and it's been several years, I had read a trivia question or something about hugs and a study about hugs, and it said if you get eight hugs a day, it lowers your blood pressure. Since that time, it's gone up to 13. So I started to do hugs because I thought that was fun just to get to know people because I was really shy when we first moved here. And that was a way that I could maybe start a conversation kind of thing. But when I was going through my cancer and my going through my chemo treatments and my blood pressure was really high, I just asked if I could get some hugs. So they would either send people in to give me a hug or I would take my little cart thing and go around and hug the patients that were there or the nurses. And when I came back, my blood pressure had lowered 20 points. And so I just thought, okay, this is my habit. I'm going to start doing that. So I did that. Of course, I did before that. I hugged people at work and it's just been a part of my life and I tell people it's for selfish reasons <laughs> because I want to lower my blood pressure so well we love them it's awesome that you know not only is it beneficial to you but it's beneficial to us too and so uh, we, we really appreciate it and thanks for sharing that with us tell me about your childhood growing up then I had the most awesome dad and he would always be the one that stuck up for the people that were struggling you know in our neighborhood was just a one big neighborhood family and so when we grew up we left the house early in the morning and our neighbors all took care of us and we didn't go back until dinner time or even after dinner because our neighbors would feed us but one time where was this where in, did you grow up in ogden utah yeah, washington, washington terrace one time there was a a family that really didn't get along with anybody they had older boys than than we were than i was and they had a girl a daughter that was a year younger and we kind of tried to get along with her but one time my my little brother was coming home and he had his violin and this family's older brothers started making fun of him and chasing him and wanted to take his violin away from him and he was and they were calling him all kinds of names and all this stuff and he comes running down the street and he's telling my dad my dad's watering the lawn and then this mom her name was Mrs. Kilburn and she came down the street and just yelling from her house down to ours and she lived about six houses above ours and you could hear her screaming and yelling and all that stuff came down and my dad's sitting on the porch very quietly watering lawn and she's yelling and screaming at him because of what my brother Dale had done and he just didn't want to be yelled at so he's watering the lawn like this and he squirted her Oh no! and she just kind of quit and walked away and she never yelled at us again and she made sure her kids wouldn't yell at us again so I learned from him to watch out for the people that didn't seem to have friends and to become their friends and and take care of them so that's 
kind of what I did all through high school, all through junior high. Tell me about your family. How many kids in your family? How many siblings do you have? Well, I have one younger, one, had one younger brother. He died about 18 years ago. And I have an older brother who has got a different father than I do, and he's 11 years older than me. So that's kind of, we just grew up with, you know, the two of us, and my older brother was, he kind of was taking care of us. And my next door neighbors, we considered them family too, and they had five kids, and it was a blended family also. But the older boys always just took care of me. If I said something that wasn't appropriate, they would take me aside and tell me that I couldn't, shouldn't say that word or I shouldn't do this and all that stuff because they, they were just there like my older brothers. They took care of me. Tell me about your high school. Did you go to Ogden High School then? No, I went to Bonneville High School. Bonneville High School, okay. That was a neat experience. When I was in junior high is where what kind of led me to want to get good grades and stuff in high school because my father had died, well, in the middle of my um, ninth grade year. And so I tried really hard after he died to punish God and my family and everything for taking my father away from me. And so we had to walk three blocks to go to seminary. And there were these kids that were walking and they always smoked marijuana on the way to seminary. And so I tried really hard to hang out with them, but it was such a blessing that my teachers took care of me because every time they saw me trying to become their friends, they would pull me aside and send me to the principal's office or take me into their room if they weren't teaching a class. And then during the assignments and when we were in class, if they needed to demonstrate demonstrate what we were doing, they would take my assignment and, you know, my project and, and ex experiment on that or show everybody how to do it. And that was the first time I ever got A's in class because I thought, okay, so this is, this is kind of cool that I can do this. So I kept going, you know, kind of thing. And I had one teacher who, we had 90 kids in the class. They were experimenting with having three classes rooms together and so we never had assigned seating. So I went and I was always trying to sit with these kids that were making the wrong choices and stuff. And he was always call me up to the front of the classroom and I'd have to stand next to him while he taught the class so that I wouldn't sit by these kids. And finally, I just decided this is just not worth it. I'm not doing this anymore. And I know Heavenly Father was looking out for me because they were always there to protect me and try to teach me how to make right choices. So you said your father passed away when you were in ninth grade. Yeah, I was. it was the day after my 15th birthday. You said that, that was pretty tough for you and you wanted to lash out. How did you overcome that, that struggle of blaming Heavenly Father? Is that what you did? Did you blame Yeah, I did. Or? I did because, you know, when I, when I was 10, I found my uncle. He was dead in our basement. Oh, my gosh. And I just had nightmares because he was just, it was just an ugly sight. And when after his funeral, I said my first real prayer. We, we grew up saying memorized prayers all the time. And, and so I just said, Heavenly Father, I can't do this anymore. Please help me. And then my uncle came to me. And um, it scared me at first, but he just was there to comfort me. And so I thought, well, okay, Heavenly Father loves me. And then when my dad died, I just kind of thought, where, where, where are you now? That's why I was trying to punish everybody around me. So how did you overcome that? Um, I guess with my teachers helped me. I mean, because they wouldn't let me make wrong choices. And I mean, it was a, a big 
junior high, but it, you know, they just, every one of them kind of was there for me and watched out for me, so. So I'm sure that helped build your testimony. Mm -hmm. yeah. What other things when you were growing up helped build your testimony? We had a primary teacher that, we had primary on Wednesday afternoons after school, and she was just an awesome lady. She was an older lady, and you know, back when we were eight years old or whatever, anybody was older. But so I don't, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how old she was, but she seemed like an old older lady. But she would teach us primary, and then after primary, if the kids weren't there that were should have been there or something, she would go to their house. Wow. and teach them. And so one of my really good friends whose family, she was the only one that was baptized and came, started coming to church and stuff, but she didn't want to go on Wednesday afternoons. And so my teacher, and her name was Mrs. Hogard, and she came to my friend Bonnie's house every Wednesday and taught her the lesson and taught her how to knit and crochet and embroidery and do all that stuff because that's what we had to do when we were in primary back in the day. But if you know there was a time when I didn't go, she would be at my house after primary. So yeah. she had quite an influence on both you and her. Yeah, yeah, she did. She had an influence on all of us. And so I have tried to develop those tactics when we were teaching primary and the kids when they wouldn't weren't at church, then I would call and make an arrangement for me to go and teach them the lesson at their house. That's great. And I had kids from Burke Ward who wanted to be in my primary class. So I would go to their house and teach them the lesson. What a great example of magnifying your calling. That's sure. fantastic. When you think about your family growing up, who do you think had the most impact on your life? My dad. When I was in elementary school, my friends had somehow picked me to make fun of. And they would make fun of me every day on the way to school and on the way home from school. And one day I just talked to my dad about it and he said, is it what they're saying true? And I'd say, no, it's not. Well, you know what, consider it an act of service and be grateful that they're leaving someone else alone. And just believe that it's not true. You know it's not true, but they're leaving someone else alone. And at that point, I kind of took up that I would look for those people that were lonely and being being afraid, you know, kind of like with my dad. He did those same same things. And then I started laughing every time they'd make fun of me. I'd laugh with them. And then one of my friends said, "Would you leave her alone? She's too dumb to know we're making fun of her." And then they never did anymore. They moved on to somebody else and then I became that somebody else's friend. Well, your father seems like a pretty brilliant man. Yeah, he was. He was not active in church, but he was the scout leader. And every time the kids tried to or started to age out of his troop, they wanted to still come back to him. They didn't want to have any other leader. So he ended up having scout meetings two times a week, one for the kids that aged out and one for the kids that were there. So when you graduated from high school, what did you go do? Well, I stayed home because I felt like I had to take care of my mom. My brother had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and he got diagnosed while he was in the Navy, which was a blessing because government ended up paying for all, I mean, his treatments and everything. But I felt like I had to stay home and take care of, all of my friends went away to college, and, and I felt like I needed to stay home and take care of my mom. So I stayed home and went to Weber State and 
took care of my mom and my brother. So we learned in a couple episodes ago about how you met Dennis, and we've heard his version of the story. Is your version different? I don't think so. I mean, he came and he was selling vacuums, and he came and knocked on our door, and my mom was at home, so he got our phone number so that he could call and make an appointment with her. <laughs> and about, I guess it was three weeks later, he ended up calling and asking me if I wanted to go on a date to the movies. And he was really the first date that I'd ever had that wasn't arranged by my mom, friend's mom, or my college, you know, my roommates when sure. I was living, you know, up by the college. Because they all, all of them thought I needed to have a date. So they all got me dates to go. And so he was the very first one that I'd <laughs> ever kind of went with on my own. And then I was really embarrassed that. I fell asleep. I didn't realize he fell asleep. And so oh, you didn't know he fell asleep? I didn't know he day. fell asleep because I was, I mean, I was going to college full time and working two jobs so that I could pay for college and, and doing the homework and everything. And I was just exhausted. So, well, it's a great uh, first story. So, tell me about when you were in college. You said you were working two jobs and, and what, what did you study? I wanted to be a psychologist because I wanted to fix my brother you know, kind of thing. But my mom got really upset and said, no, you can't be a psychologist. And she had a passive-aggressive personality disorder, and it wasn't diagnosed till really late, you know, in her life. But I took a biology class with my friends, and I flunked it. Oh, no. So I said, okay, I'm not going to do any of this medical stuff because I don't want to have to take all this stuff. I was embarrassed. So I dropped out of college and went to a business school and went to Stevens Henniger Business School and I got my associate's degree there and one of the teachers there <laughs> she was at first she was my junior high school French teacher and we didn't get along really well she didn't I didn't think she liked me very well then when I moved to high school she was now my English teacher then I moved to college and she was my shorthand teacher <laughs> and the people in the class, the students in the class were just shocked that she knew me on the first day. You yeah. know, it was like, yeah, this is our seventh year together. <laughs> so, but we ended up, I, I really liked her and appreciated the things that she taught me, but it took seven years. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about, you wanted to pursue psychology because of some of the challenges that your family had had. Yeah. How do you think those challenges affected you and your relationships in your family? Well, my brother used to always, whenever he needed to go to Salt Lake to go to the doctor or do whatever, he would call me to do. So I was the one that was taking care of him. And I was going to Salt Lake about once a week to take him up there. And it was just with me working and having kids and all that stuff, it was just was just a, a hard thing to do and so I called his psychologist and well one time he was taking all these pills and his tongue was so swollen he couldn't talk and all that stuff and so I went up to the VA hospital in Salt Lake and took all of his pills and I had to stay there for hours because they didn't have time to see me and finally once I was I'd stayed there in the in the waiting room the doctor finally came out and I told him I said how what what pills are you supposed to take explain all this and he said he's not supposed to take all these and there were eight of them and he said he's only supposed to take one and if he if I prescribe another 
pill, then he needs to stop taking the other ones. And I said, well, he doesn't quite get that. So I got to learn about that. I just think that, you know, in years past, talking about challenges, mental challenges that people have, people didn't like to talk about it. And, And I think today we're much more at least in tune with talking about mm-hmm. it and understanding it maybe a little bit more? Well, there are there are a lot of people that are dealing with depression, and, and I was, you know, going through all of that and everything. It just created some depression in me, so I'm on antidepressants too right now, so. So how do you, how do you deal? I mean, obviously med- medication helps, but are there other things that you do to help yourself mentally? Well, I like to serve others, make sure that, you know, I'm, doing all kinds of crafty things and quilting and everything. And, and so I give a lot of those away and you know it, it really helps me to do those acts of service. And when we were on our mission in California, I was reading this book and I don't remember the name of the book, but the one thing I got out of it is that it's okay to let other people serve you because we are trying to be like Jesus and we're trying to fulfill that goal and Jesus not only served other people, but he let other people serve him. As he let the women wash his feet with that expensive oil, and he had the bread and the fishes, he could have just said, you know, poof, you're, you're not hungry anymore. But he, he let somebody give him the bread and the fishes, and, you know, he blessed them, and everybody was filled. I think that's a great way to look at it. I mean, we serve other people, but we also... There are times in our life when we should be served mm-hmm. or need to be served. And for people like you that provide us that service, everyone is grateful. Well, and you know, we feel guilty because people are serving us because we always just think that we need to serve others and not be served. But, you know, as I when I read that story I thought, Okay, you're you know, it's just right. He did let people serve him. And I'm pretty sure that he stayed in people's houses because he didn't we're not told that he had a home to live in, so right. he'd always you know, people would take care of him that way. And then when I got home from our mission and I got diagnosed with cancer, I thought, okay, this is why I read this. You know, this is what what I got out of it. What kind of cancer did you have? Endometrial, and I've had, it went to my lungs, it went to my brain, it went just... And are you in remission now? Yes. That's amazing. What kind of a challenge was that for you going, going through that? How did you deal with that? I don't know. I had my family all around me, and they just took care of me. And How long was the process of getting to remission? Three years. Three years. And do you feel healthy now? Yeah. That's fantastic. Congratulations. That's amazing. Yep. Good for you. If you were to think back on your time, you know, since high school, what do you think has been your biggest challenge or faith-promoting experience that you've had? Well, I guess my health issues... And you know, being far away from our family has been really hard. When we first moved here, I was so afraid that my nieces and nephews would forget who I was. So for their birthdays, I would send them a postcard from here in this area. And there was quite a few. I don't do that anymore because there's 130 nieces and nephews. <laughs> so, um, But when there weren't that many, I'd send them a postcard and I'd sign it, Your Favorite Aunt Gwen. So to this day, when they introduce me to their kids, they'll say, and this is your favorite Aunt Gwen. <laughs> so. Is there an experience that you can think of that you'd share with us that has been maybe one of your biggest challenges besides your health? Raising my kids and trying to keep them having faith in the gospel and all that mm-hmm. stuff. 
and my grandkids, trying to get them, keep them active. We text each other every day a thumbs up when we read the scriptures, and we've been doing that for six years. It's been fun to do that and talk with the kids about the scriptures and stuff like that. It's challenging to watch them grow up in these times when you know, there's so many people struggling and I think there's so many of us, you know, that have family members that are, you know, either less active or starting to become inactive or have doubts, you know, about the church. And I think that that challenge is, is a challenge that we all face in the ward and even, even within ourselves, right, of maintaining mm -hmm. our own testimonies. How did you deal with that as a, as a parent to try to continue? What, what are some techniques that you've done to help keep your, your kids and your family strong? Well, one thing is becoming friends with their friends. All the young kids that came over here, I interviewed them, every one of them. And that was one of the ways I learned how to talk to people too. When we first moved here, I was really shy. I didn't talk to anybody. I started interviewing and, and uh, kids would bring over their new friends or whatever for me to interview. And that we had just kind of an influence on on the kids. And one time, one of the kids, well, very few of them were members of the church, but they said a cuss word. And I got a labar of soap out and told them they couldn't say those words, you know, here. And if you, so they ended up policing themselves. Mm -hmm. But then when we had a, a birthday party for one of my oldest daughter, when she would turn 16, the kids, somehow, it went through the whole football stadium because there was a football game. So everybody, there were kids that we didn't even know came to the, but the boys that always were at our house would say, you don't need to worry. We're going we're gonna to tell the, all these people the rules, that they can't cuss, they can't do this, and they can't, <laughs> you know, and, and that there's no alcohol, there's no, and then some of them said there were kids that were there. You mean their parents are here? <laughs> yes, they are, and you can't say a cuss word or you get to lick the bar of soap. You know, but they told me, you don't have to worry, we'll, we'll watch. So that did help, and that kind of helped my kids learn that they needed to kind of be an example too, so. Do you still worry about them? I always worry about them, that's what a mom's job is. Yeah, that's true. I think we all still worry about our kids, no matter what age they are, right? Right, well, and my kids are all in their 40s now, so. <laughs> <laughs> and we're still worrying. Yes, right? yes. <laughs> what experience do you think has caused you to trust most in God? Well, just that I'm still here. There's a reason why I'm still here, because every time I went in, almost every time I went in for surgery, the doctors would tell Dennis that not to expect that I come out, mm. you know, that there's a very rare chance that she'll survive this. So, but I always did, so. Yes, I'm grateful of, you did. Yeah, well, <laughs> I tell people I, that I get close to the gate and Heavenly Father sends me back down because I haven't learned my lesson yet. <laughs> so. Well, you've had all these experiences. What do you, what do, you do to, to strengthen your testimony every day? Well, since we've been doing that scripture study, I've been really studying and pondering and I read stories of people who have had faith up building experiences and stuff, and I try and relate myself to those. So just studying the scriptures and knowing and watching, and learning that what happened, like in Nephi's time or Moroni's time, any time during the scriptures, it's like the, that's exactly what's going on today. So and how they handle it and those kinds of things. I have a bonus granddaughter that we read every night at six o'clock. We read the Book of Mormon. We're on ether right now, so 
but we, we read for about 30, 40 minutes, and we discuss almost every verse that we, that we read. Wow, and you do that every day. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, a bonus granddaughter? Well, somebody that's not blood-related, but they call us grandma and okay. Lolo, and you know, they're just, they've just become a part of our family. Oh, that's great. Let's talk about your professional life. When you graduated from business school, where did you go? Well, I was working for the government. I worked for the Air Force Base from the time I was a senior. Just after, well, after I got my driver's license, I got to go to school for four hours a day and then go to work for four hours a day. So I just kept working for the government. I worked for the Air Force Base. Then I transferred over to the Army Base that was in Ogden at the time. And then I transferred to IRS and stayed there. So I've been with the government since I was... 17 years old. And how many total years of service did you do in the government? It was recorded as 34, but I worked a lot longer. The first few years, somehow it didn't get recorded. So 34 years, that's a long time. And now you're completely retired? I'm completely ret- retired. January will be 13 years. Except for you still make quilts. Well, when we took retirement class, the teacher, thing I remember the most is that he said, retire to something and not from something. Yeah. And then he had us draw a pie chart of what we were going to do when we retired. And I did my pie chart, and he said to me, when are you sleeping? And I said, I don't sleep now. Why would I need to sleep? (laughs) You know, because we had to go to Maryland, and it was sometimes a 90-minute commute, and I had to be there at 6 o'clock in the morning or 6.30 in the morning. And uh, so... I said, I don't sleep now. I, you know, and then we had the kids that were all involved in everything. And, and he said, when are you eating? I said, I have to make time for eating. I'm going to eat on the way. <laughs> and so he said, oh, when he showed this, my pie chart to the whole class. But that's pretty much what I do now. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand you went on a mission. Tell me about your mission. Well, the first experiences that, we've, that I had with missionaries when we was when we first moved here and somehow the missionaries I don't know how they knew about us or whatever but they would come to our townhouse and the sister missionaries would always just about every other day they'd be at our place taking care of our kids and teaching our kids and helping them clean their rooms and the elders would always come over and they would have their district meetings at our in our townhouse so and then when we left the missionaries would come and take care of our house and everything and so it was just it was fun to to see you know how the missionaries could have such an influence. Is that what helped you decide to go on your own mission? Well that and also um, when Christina was on her mission she'd send letters she was in the Philippines and they couldn't call only twice a year Christmas and Mother's Day and so and she had handwritten letters all the time and and so I would take the letters to work and one of my coworkers, her husband, was on the Secret Service, and he was in charge of the Olympics when the Olympics was in Salt Lake. And when he came home from that, he would tell his wife that he would be on the plane with the missionaries or he'd see missionaries, and he would go and teach them the things that Christina wrote in her letters. Hmm. He'd say, do you know this? <laughs> so, you know, it was just like it was fun to have that experience, and, you know, we saw what kind of one of the things that helped us want to want to go. And so we served in California at the Employment Resource Center that was right across the street from the Desert Industries that was there. And we worked with the people that were 
working in the desert industries to be able to find permanent jobs and stuff. We taught a workshop and so it was just fun getting to know those people and working with them and we, I still get texts and Facebook messages and everything from a lot of them, so. If you were to think back on your mission time, is there one specific experience that you remember the most? Just getting to know the kids, you know. What I would do is, in our office, I kind of set up a little room for the kids that their parents would bring them in when they were doing job searching and all that stuff. And I would entertain the kids. The Desert Industries people would give me toys to put in my office so that these kids could play with. And in our apartment complex, there were 10 families that were members and they all had kids. And they would come to our apartment every night, just about every night. And we made hamburger cookies and... Hamburger cookies? Yeah, they're made out of Thin mints or grasshopper cookies are the hamburger. Okay. And vanilla wafers are the bun. <laughs> and then just different colors frosting. But they would always come down to make hamburger cookies or sew on my sewing machine or go for a walk or something. But just getting to know, because I'm such a kid, my, my friend calls me a kid magnet. But yeah, I just, I loved, you know, working with the kids and making sure that their parents were able to do what they needed to do. A lot of the parents got to go to the temple while we watched the kids. And, you know, we taught a young lady that could only speak Spanish. We taught her how to, to read and speak English and understand the English books. The Desert Industries would send books over to us and every day she'd come over to read so she could learn English. That's wonderful. Those kinds of things. And seeing the joy on the look on their face, in their eyes, when they got a job. Well, it sounds like so, you had a wonderful mission. Yeah, we did. It was fun. Well, it's been awesome talking with you. Tell me what you love most about Rolling Valley Ward. Just that people are so were so welcoming when we first moved here, and they still are, and just that they're willing to give me hugs and greet me and, and love me. And it was just, I love the kids, and they're, they're my favorite. I love teaching primary and being with the youth and teaching seminary. I just, that was my favorite callings. Well, speaking of kids, if you were to send a message to your great-great-grandkids or somebody that's listening to this podcast, you know, 100 years from now, uh, what would you want to tell them? To make right choices because Heavenly Father sticks by you when you make wrong choices and you follow Satan. When he gets you, he just leaves you alone and you're out there to be sad and to find joy in the journey. When Elder Worthland said that in 2008, that became my motto is find joy in the journey. When I was working, I used to make postcards, you know, just little cards that said, find joy in the journey. And when people would come and talk to me about all their problems and everything, we'd talk through them. And then I would say, is this going to matter in 10 minutes? Is this going to matter in, you know, 10 days or whatever? When the answer finally got to be no, I'd give them my postcard and say, then find joy in the journey. Mm. Oh, that's a great message. That's kind of what you know, Heavenly Father wants us to be happy, you know, and, and find joy. Well, and we all go through so many difficult things and so many wonderful things as well that finding joy in that journey, in that growth, is a great message. Yeah. Well, Sister Thompson, it's been fantastic talking with you today. Well, thank you. It's really, I've learned a lot about you. I'm so grateful that you told the The, the one question that I'm sure what people wanted me to ask was about the hugging and and to confirm the story from Brother Thompson that, that you both fell asleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
It's been wonderful talking with you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, for sharing your experiences and your testimony. We're grateful that you're part of our ward. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us for this edition of Rolling Valley Stories. We really appreciate it. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 